Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine, advancing medicine through precision diagnostics and novel therapies. Your host is Dr. Lee Friedman. Treatment for cancer of the head and neck can often be devastating for patients in that loss of the ability to speak can be a result. What are the new advances in treating patients with head and neck cancer? And what are some of the new trials in sparing a patient's voice box? To answer these questions and more is Dr. Alexander Lin, Assistant Professor of Radiation Oncology at the Veterans Administration Medical Center and the Pennsylvania Hospital. Dr. Lin is a radiation oncologist with a focus on head and neck cancers. Dr. Lin, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Why don't we start generally, and maybe you could describe for us uh, your role at Penn Medicine. Sure. I'm an assistant professor, as you mentioned. I'm at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm the um, section chief of the head and neck cancer section in the department, and I'm also the director of clinical operations for the Roberts Proton Therapy Center here at the University of Pennsylvania. Okay, so a lot of different uh, hats that you wear, and and I know that some of uh, what you do involves collaboration with otolaryngologists. Uh, Can you describe what you do in conjunction with them? I work very closely with our head and neck surgeons here and with our medical oncologists and radiologists. And essentially, what we believe is that you know, head and neck cancer is a disease and, and a problem that needs to be addressed, often in multiple ways. We have experts in surgery, experts in chemotherapy, experts in radiation. And what we hope to do here for all of our patients is to tailor an individualized therapy so that we can maximize a chance for a patient's cure and do so in a way that minimizes their side effects and long-term toxicity and maintain their quality of life after treatment is completed. So a multidisciplinary approach to try to optimize outcomes and and reduce uh, morbidity from the treatments. Yes, that is correct. Now, as an internist, I know very little about this, but I sometimes think about uh, ENT cancers as being related to the human papillomavirus. Uh, is there any utility in thinking about these as HPV positive versus negative? Yes, uh, very much so, because we are seeing that patients who have HPV positive associated head and neck cancers tend to behave very differently in terms of how they respond to therapy. Those with HPV positive cancers tend to be younger, and when they're treated, even with very advanced disease, the cure rates can be as high as 90%, whereas patients with HPV negative disease even with similar stages compared to those with HPV-positive disease, when they're treated, unfortunately, their results tend to be consistently not as good. Their chance of recurrent cancer tend to be quite a bit higher. And is that felt to be related to any specific treatment that targets the virus, or uh, we just don't know why there is that difference? We don't really understand very well at this point. Uh, It seems to be that the HPV-negative head and neck cancers seem to be more induced by a heavy exposure to tobacco and smoking. And for some reason, that seems to make these cancers more biologically aggressive and less responsive to treatment. Moving forward, I think we are going to start to try to tailor and figure out why HPV-positive cancers are so responsive and try to tailor treatments to respond to that, meaning maybe we can get away with less dose of radiation, maybe we can think about less aggressive chemotherapy, maybe we can tailor vaccines that are specific for HPV. On the other hand, for patients who have HPV-negative cancer, we need to find out why they're so resistant to treatment and to target the pathways that lead to resistance. Well, why don't we continue by talking about one of these particular types, the, uh, the way that you might approach an HPV-positive uh, ENT cancer. Sure. These patients, again, like I said, are, tend to be young, very healthy, and are cured at a higher rate. 
and they're likely going to live a long time after their diagnosis and treatment. And so our goal is to maintain their quality of life and making sure that we're maximizing their cure rates. One of the problems up to now with head and neck cancer treatment, whether it's with surgery or with radiation or chemo, is that often it comes at a price. It comes at a price of side effects during treatment and even after treatment. You know, often when I sit with patients, you know, they're grateful patients, they're years out from treatment, but when I sit at a meal with them and talk to them, I can tell the impacts that our treatments have had on their lives. Sometimes they have dry mouth, they can't taste some of their foods, they can't eat certain foods. And so it really does kind of hit close to home when you see the effects of our treatment. Now, for these patients who are going to live a long time and we want to maintain their quality of life, we are now trying to think of ways that we can minimize the toxicity of surgery and radiation and chemo. At Penn, we've pioneered through our otolaryngology department an approach called transoral robot, called TORS, transoral robotic surgery, whereas before, in order to resect an oral pharyngeal cancer, they would have to do a very extensive surgery, a very invasive surgery, where they'd have to essentially crack the jaw open in order to get access to the base of tongue or the tonsil to resect that. Now they can bypass that, and they can access that using a robotic arm. The advantage of this is that the recovery times are much quicker after surgery. Many more patients who previously would not have been a candidate for surgery can now get surgery. And in so doing, we can remove the very small cancers that arise on the base of tongue and tonsil that often spread to the neck, where the bulk of disease is in the neck. But we're able to resect the base of tongue or tonsil cancer very easily now. The advantage of doing so, getting the bulky cancer out, getting the neck nodes out, means that once we're done with the surgery, even if they need to get radiation, the dose of radiation we have to give is much less compared to before when a patient could not receive surgery and we had to treat radiation with definitive intent, meaning that you know, we had to give radiation for intact gross disease. So this is a more extensive surgery, but done with less damage to the uh, healthy and surrounding tissues that then allows a, a reduced dose of radiation. Right. I would even say that the surgery now compared to before is less extensive and allows more people to get surgery and in so doing allows us to give less dose radiation. That, that's wonderful. And are there any unique side effects to this particular approach? There are. We've seen uh, in some cases where after surgery and radiation, about two to three months afterwards, sometimes patients can develop an ulcer in the area where they receive their surgery and radiation in the back of the mouth, in the tonsil of the tongue. These areas heal up after a couple months of treatment, but we also realize the impact that this can have in terms of pain and requirements for needing to take medications for the discomfort. So we actually believe that for well-selected patients where the primary tumor is very small, cleanly resected, and has no adverse risk factors, that we can actually think about omitting radiation to where the tumor started, but continue to give radiation to where the bulk of the disease has spread to in the neck. Now, this is a study that we have open here at Penn and only at Penn. And again, it's, it's an investigational study, one that we believe has great scientific merit in terms of still preserving a very high rate of cure while decreasing the risk of long-term side effects, short-term side effects from our treatment. Well, that's fascinating. So really not needing to give radiation to the primary site in these selected patients. That is correct. Wonderful. Now, now you mentioned you do proton therapy. Is there a role for proton therapy in, in these type of patients? We believe so. So we have a proton therapy center here at Penn. 
proton therapy is, is, is radiation still. And the only difference with uh, protons is its ability to stop and to minimize exposure to tissues that are adjacent to the areas that we want to treat, meaning less potential collateral damage. We believe in, that this has great potential, and we are currently treating patients with proton therapy under study, and we are planning to be able to inform the community and the world about our data, comparing protons to what is currently the standard of care, which is intensity modulated photon radiation, with an eye on whether protons does as good of a job or not better in terms of controlling head and neck cancers. As importantly, by doing so, are we able to also reduce the significant side effects that one sees during treatment and afterwards? Very good. Well, two very important uh, studies in these type of patients at, at Penn. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me today is Dr. Alexander Lin, radiation oncologist, talking about new treatments for head and neck cancers at Penn Medicine. Dr. Lin, maybe we should shift gears now and, and talk about those more recalcitrant uh, patients, those with the HPV-negative cancers. Yes. We also think that this is a very important area of study because these patients do not have as good of an outcome or result or cure rate as those with HPV positive. And if you look at the way that we, you know, the, the treatment paradigms for these patients, it's very similar now compared to 10 or 20 years ago. Advances have been, I would say, somewhat oncoming in terms of the radiation techniques and such, but we haven't seen a major breakthrough in dramatic improvements in cure rates. We start to ask the reason, well, why is that? Why is it about these cancers that make them so resistant? One theory is that these cancers may have a high level of hypoxia, an absence of oxygen in these tumor cells that make them less responsive to treatment. And the presence of hypoxia may then activate mechanisms that promote disease aggressiveness that may help them to spread to regional areas or even systemically to the point where a patient may become incurable. And so we've done a lot of work here at Penn researching the mechanisms of why these tumors may be resistant. We think it's because of hypoxia. We've been able to measure head neck cancer tumors, showing that those that are more hypoxic, patients who have more hypoxic tumors tend to have a worse disease outcome. We have a way to, to image hypoxia using a novel tracer uh, through a PET scanning called EF5 that was developed here at Penn. And we have a drug that we believe can actually improve tumor oxygenation and decrease oxygen consumption of these tumor cells. So by so doing, uh, improving the sensitivity of these very resistant cancers to radiation. The drug is called nelfinivir. Interesting. And, and it, to me, that's a little counterintuitive in that I know we treat sometimes uh, uh, other cancers or metastases by trying to cut off the blood supply and make them ischemic and uh, this, if I'm understanding you correctly, seems to be that these type of tumors actually are more resistant because of hypoxia and, and possibly ischemia. Correct. And the, the way that radiation actually works is by interacting with oxygen in our tissues to create these oxidative radicals, which then go and damage the DNA of tumor cells. And so if we can improve the oxygenation, we would then, therefore, improve the sensitivity of these cells to radiation therapy. Well, that, that really sounds fascinating. Are, are there some trials going on with uh, these agents and with this type of imaging that you talked about that can identify hypoxia? There is, and we have
have a we have a trial here. We've opened a single arm phase two trial uh, that's open now for the next five years. And this is uh, funded by the NIH through an R01 grant, and we're very excited in this trial. It's for patients who have HPV negative larynx cancer. These are patients who oftentimes are offered the option of chemo radiation as their treatment, in which the outcomes are not great or suboptimal compared to our HPV positive counterparts, or the other option is removal of the larynx, in which the results are still equally suboptimal. And so uh, patients are having to choose between two not great treatment options, knowing that their long-term outcome results are not you know, as good as they can or should be. We here at Penn are now uh, combining our strengths in imaging, where we can image patients with this cancer and detect how much hypoxia there is in their cancer, give them a drug, melfinivir, that has been shown to improve oxygenation in these tumors, repeat the imaging to see how much the hypoxia improves, and then we give them chemo and radiation and melfinivir uh, for seven weeks, which is the standard way to preserve one's larynx and to treat the cancer without having to remove the larynx. And we believe that by doing so, we will be able to improve the outcomes for these patients in terms of preserving their larynx and also curing their cancer. So uh, you think that the outcomes uh, in terms of curing the cancer will be as good or, or even better than with standard treatment that does involve removing the, the voice box? We believe so. That we, we believe that these results would be better than the results seen with surgery, followed by radiation for larynx cancer, as well as standard chemo radiation for larynx cancer. That's very interesting. And can you, can you tell us more about this uh, novel agent, nelfinavir, and how it improves uh, the hypoxia? Is it a vasculogenic type of uh, treatment? We actually are not quite sure what the exact mechanism is. We have data, in vitro and in vivo data, showing that it does improve oxygenation. We see that it improves intrinsic as well as extrinsic radio sensitivity. And, you know, part of it may be through the vasculature. And Part of it may be just through um, oxygen consumption or um, by improving oxygenation, it may downregulate some, me- some molecular mechanisms that typically lead to more increased aggressiveness and ability to metastasize. Part of this grant is actually, uh, actually funding a lot of the mechanistic work that we're going to be doing at these patients' tumors to see how this drug is working exactly. Is it a well-tolerated agent? Are there side effects? very well-tolerated agent. In fact, uh, we at Penn have already conducted a phase one study in patients receiving um, chemo radiation with nelfinavir for uh, locally advanced lung cancer, and those results have been published in a very uh, highly respected journal in showing that it's safe, tolerable, safe to give, and well-tolerated by patients. Well, I very much want to thank Dr. Alexander Lin for speaking with us today about the uh, new developments, particularly at Penn Medicine, but also in general in terms of the field of head and neck cancers. It sounds like we are developing uh, many more tools that uh, have uh, the outlook much more positive for patients with this sometimes devastating disease. And again, Dr. Lin, thank you for your insightful comments. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine. To download this podcast or to access others in the series, please visit reachmd.com pen and visit Pen Physician Link, an exclusive program that helps referring physicians connect with Pen. Here you can find education resources, information about our expedited referral process, and communication tools. To learn more, visit www.penmedicine.org 
slash physician link. Thank you for listening.